Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Boy, it's been, what, 10 months since we since we did a post-game episode. I don't even know if we did one for the Citrus Bowl because I was traveling and everything. So it's it's been a while, but but here we are discussing the Michigan football team's 49-24 to win over Minnesota. You can read all about it. We got lots of stories. I know I've got five takeaways coming probably right after we record this podcast. Uh, but we've got position grades. We've got stuff about Joe Milton, stuff about Michael Barrett, uh, what, what Jim Harbaugh had to say about the game, uh, you know, some key stats, some other things to, to note. So plus more to come in the coming days. So check it all out at the michiganinsider.com, michigan.247sports.com. If you're new to the podcast, we are, well, we do three podcasts. We have the Michigan Insider Basketball Podcast, the Michigan Insider Recruiting Podcast. And, and so you can really get your fix. If you're a Michigan sports fan, you really, you'll, you'll get everything you need uh, from, from our entire staff. You can subscribe pretty much everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, You can share it with your friends, throw us some ratings. If you, if you like it, definitely love to see that, but this year, I know last year we had kind of a, a strict formula. I think this year I'd like it to be a little bit more free-flowing. So we've got a few questions uh, or, or kind of standard things that we'll do each week, kind of fill in the blank stuff, similar to what we did for the preview podcast the other day. And then we got some true-false. So I'll, I'll take a statement that, that I see either on social media or, or among Michigan fans and and kind of see what, put it on a tee for both of us, see what we think of it. Um, and so it should be, should be a fun discussion from a game that is, uh, well, it's, it's no longer a big game, right, Steve? <laughs> yeah. No, I, that no longer was a big game when the clock hit zero last night. So that's I, I think halftime it became, Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Michigan. Yeah. Anyway, we'll get yeah. to that. That that's one of the ones that comes up. Uh, so first let's start, let's start with kind of looking at, at the top players from the game. I'll, you, I'll let you go first because I've got two in mind, but offensive and defensive MVPs for you. Uh, defensively, I'll go with Quiddy Pay. Mm-hmm. A force on the edge looked unstoppable from a pass rush aspect. Really, again, you know, we, we kind of had a feeling that Michigan was – had a legitimate chance to control both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, they were able to do that. You know, when we talk about Hutchinson, he was one of the players I wanted to watch, uh, but pay kind of both of them had a really good game. I mean, Hutchinson collapsed the pocket a few times, forced the quarterback into some diff- some uh, awkward areas, but pay looked like that guy, you know, Bruce Feldman from the athletic, I think had Quiddy as his number one freak. Uh, he really kind of, looked like that guy yesterday and and really he looked you know you talk about we always talk about like guys who maybe like get like take a legit leap from like their first to second year you don't ever really hear about like guys who were already good like kind of taking that negative but he looks it's rare yeah yeah but he looked like more explosive and more athletic than he ever has in a Michigan uniform so defensively I'll go with Quiddy offense man I mean a lot of different ways you could go. Honestly, I mean, I would almost go with Milton if you're picking an individual player. Uh, I was on the board this morning or this afternoon. One guy 
actually I thought put it perfectly. I can't remember the user's name. Apologies for that. Said that watching the game and watching Milton play quarterback made him calm down himself while watching the game because he just looked so collected in the pocket and just, you know, in kind of felt like he was kind of in control. Uh, and for a first first year quarterback starting his first game against a ranked opponent at night, I was really I mean, how could you not be impressed? you know, with what he, with how he, not how he, not even statistically how he performed, but just that makeup, that it factor sort of deal, you know, cause that, that was, I thought, like I said, I thought it was really well put where it's like, he was so, um, he looked like a veteran out there in it with his pocket presence, uh, decision-making and, you know, not trying to force the issue. So I guess I'd go with Milton. I mean, offensively it could be a lot of different guys though. Could, could be one of the offensive linemen, but any of the backs, you know, it could be a lot of guys. Usually, though, and by the way, I, I 100% agree with the Milton analysis. That's that's who I would have said if if I had gone first. And I actually I completely agree about that very specific. I think he calmed fans down. I actually wrote about it. It's the first story I wrote after the game was uh, Milton didn't flinch like the entire game. You could you could go and and I you know I kept a pretty close eye on on this after a while i was like what what was the most worried or stressed milton looked between the whistles i mean he was obviously calm you know between plays and everything but even even during the game it was really just that one sack uh in the first drive right and then then the rest of the game i i don't even know if he like broke a sweat i mean i'm obviously he did but it, he really made things look easy, and and I think you're right. It wasn't an, an award-winning performance, but it was a winning performance in every sense of the word. And and you know he didn't he didn't have to put the team on his back because because the rest of the team did pretty well. He just had to drive the car. But but that that's sometimes that can be easier said than done. Quarterbacks can rush things. Quarterbacks can, uh, you know, if they make a mistake, how do they make up for it? If they have a, you know, a rece- I think a great example was Eric all dropping that definite would be touchdown. And then they find Eric all the very next play. And so it, and, and, you know, I, I tried to pay attention to the body language. I was kind of up high in the stadium, but it, it really just seemed like Milton's like, at first he was like, ah, that, that would have been a touchdown. But then really they just, it was water, water off the back or whatever the, whatever the expression is. And, water under and, the bridge. Well, see, not that one. Cause that's like more like, but yeah, sim- similar sentiment where it yeah. was like, just okay, we'll find Eric Hall for a first down in the next play, and you know, it, it's just even his even his runs, uh, his ability to it it, it kind of reminds me. I'm gonna bring this up a little bit later too, I think. But in 2016, how many times did Michigan just seem to have the right player in the right place at the right time, even if it wasn't like this amazing, uh, you know jaw-dropping play i mean joe milton would have a run and you'd be like oh that that gained 20 yards <laughs> you know, that was a first down on a on a third and six it, it, it just looked like he was jogging to the sideline and and obviously uh yeah that's a that's a credit to him and 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 kind of keeping it simple keeping it keeping it simple keeping it you know doing his job that's it, at the end of the day that's what a quarterback has to do people make such a big deal about you know, quarterback versus quarterback. And it's like, well, if, if, if you've got a team around you and you know how to 
get the most out of that team, then you're in good shape. My defensive MVP. I'm going to go with, with, I mean, he was, he was, there was like a five or six minute stretch where it seemed like he was a part of every single play, but Michael Barrett, uh, you know, really impressive first game as a starting Viper. I mean, I don't think that was a, necessarily a surprise to us. I, I don't, I think we've been vouching for Barrett as a, as a really uh, standout future standout player for a long time, but to see it similar to Milton, I, I would argue in that he, he maybe had to wait a little longer than he might've wanted to, but um there is something to be said for actually doing it versus being this really touted, talented prospect. But no, he's just a playmaker. I mean, uh, you know, I think nothing nothing tells you more about Michael Barrett than his ability to um, have a have the hit of the night, literally force a, uh, a a ball, a fumble, you know, make it pop out so far that it went into a defensive tackle's hands like an interception. And then, what, two minutes later, he has a 65-yard kickoff return on a play that Minnesota distinctly did to try to minimize a return. And so, no, he was an absolute playmaker. Offense, I mean, there, there as you said, there's, there's a few directions you could go. I'm going to go because I haven't necessarily been able to dissect every offensive lineman yet. I'm going to go with Ben Mason because every time Michigan had a big play, it seemed like Mason was a part of it. I mean, he had he had maybe the block of the night on Zach Charbonnet's run. I think he had a... I mean, it, it wasn't like the cleanest block, but it was... Or not clean, clean as in penalty, but it he was able to kind of seal a defense. I think it was a linebacker on Hassan Haskins' run too. And I think both times, if he doesn't make that block or if it's a so-so block... I mean, that's only a gain of five or six. So that's 130 yards right there. Plus, uh, he was involved in a few other blocks. Plus, and I know, I know you, I'm sure you had had fun watching the replays of this, but you know, his his flip, lunge, whatever you want to call it, uh, getting some pylon action in the end zone. It's an amazing play. Yeah. For a guy for that size. I mean, six, I couldn't be- six two, two fifty-five, I think. Holy cow, man. <laughs> just the explosiveness, but also the just the um the coordination to yes. like, you know, yeah. to get your hand and, and, and the ball in the right spot. I mean, that was holy cow. I mean, yeah, he did the leap a couple of years ago against Maryland. I thought this was like 10 times more impressive than that. Well, and, and I mean, even to get to the corner speaks to how quickly he can get up to speed. Uh, you know, he, he had to make a catch. It was kind of a kind of a throwback type play and, and um, you know, had had to get the corner. So, yeah, no, I thought, I mean, you know, would I would I hand him the game ball? Not necessarily. I think that that probably goes to Milton. And and then and then I'd be looking at maybe Chuck Filiaga. I test that was the most impressive offensive lineman to me. But I thought Mason, you know, that's that's my first. My first ice cubes of the year, my first cold take of the year uh, was <laughs> saying what a month ago that I, I just. I wasn't sure if he was going to fit in Michigan's offense. He he's going to make it fit, right? Square peg, round hole doesn't really matter if if you have Ben Mason's strength and blocking tenacity and and kind of playmaking uh, capabilities. So uh, good on him. Next, a player that surprised me. So 
Uh, someone that I mean, we you know, a few players were new new contributors, like maybe Mike Mike Barrett. I don't know if that was necessarily a surprise, uh, but Steve, you can we can just each do one, but but a player that surprised you in this game. Not necessarily that they played well or that they were they were solid, but I mean, I mean, Jamon Green could have had three interceptions. Uh, he looked like he's like he belongs, you know. And I, I tough to choose because there's a few guys I think you know because I think Julius Welshoff was another one that really you know showed some flashes as well. Uh, but I'm gonna go with Green. I just you know seeing him step up and play at a level he did yesterday. I mean, really the one big play he gave up was a, a play I easily could have been called for offensive pass interference. Um, also one of those like under th- underthrown balls that was so underthrown that it's like almost impossible for the corner mm-hmm. to like properly make a play on it. Um, but I thought, yeah, duly impressed with how he looked. I mean, he played Bateman one-on-one a couple times in the red zone, stood tall, you know, so for a, for a first year starter, at in an, a really really important spot you know it's really this that second corner spot has been such a topic discussion uh this offseason uh really like i said not not surprised necessarily that he played well but i mean he was one of their best defenders yesterday for sure and uh so not only a surprise but like best case scenario for michigan in that regard yeah i i i think that's a that's kind of where my mind went as well, because I, I kind of felt like Vincent Gray was going to hold his own. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, hold his own. Should We should specify for someone like Rashad Bateman, who averaged 13 and a half yards per pass target last season. Uh, you know, that's that doesn't mean that Bateman's going to be shut down. But what what's kind of surprised me regarding Jamont Green was that he he was guarding covering Bateman a little bit more than I expected. And it seemed like throughout the game. And I don't know if this was actually a specifically communicated thing, but it almost seemed like he was like claiming he was like, no, I've got him. You know, I've, I've got, I've settled in. I feel like I've got a good sense of, of what he can do. And so, yeah, that's a, I mean, if that's a season long breakout game, Michigan's, Michigan's in business defensively because I think that was that's like the one spot that that everyone's kind of circling like it's an it's a potential uh oh spot is that second cornerback position because um, yeah, everywhere else they've got at least someone who's contributed before surprise for me I'm gonna go with uh, I mean he he only had seven touches so it's it's kind of tricky but I'm gonna go with Blake Corum. You know, I think I th- we, I've, I've done the freshman impact rankings. I think he was like second or third every single time I did it. So it, I'm not surprised that he played. But I mean, really, that first play. He looked like he looked like someone who's going to have some pretty big games uh, soon. You know, really, whenever Michigan wants him to almost like he looked like like it almost looked like he could have. If they'd given him the ball 15 times, he could have had 150 yards. And so, um, you know, the speed is real. You know, we, we hear about or, you know, have the laser timed, uh, what, 4.44 40-yard dash at the opening as a recruit. And so you hear about that, and you and obviously that's faster than a lot of recruits, but 
You also wonder what it looks like with pads at the college level. Uh, you know, when, once he adds a little weight, he's still quick. He he looks like someone. I mean, he's got he's got serious skills, uh, and I think I think I, I'm probably gonna he's probably gonna be that guy that I keep predicting to be a break. You know, uh, my pick to click or player to watch until he actually does it. But I think he's got you know that 200 yard rushing game in him. I don't know if Michigan's ever going to need him to carry the ball that much, but yeah, uh, he was someone that I kind of felt like he would be involved and, and effective seemed like, seemed like uh, there's, they're just scratching the surface with him, with his quickness and kind of um, how he's, I guess, working into the offense already. You know, they're already using him in the passing game. He's actually Michigan's number two receiver in terms of receptions and yards. And so um, we said, so we said about him, you know, we talked about how different these four backs are that Michigan's going to use. Yeah. And he was that guy that we said they can get the ball in his hands in between the tackles and in the passing game. And he was effective in both areas yesterday. Yeah, he was, he was next one. This is our, is our last one before our true falses, um, a player who won't get enough credit. So someone who maybe didn't have, I mean, it might not have been, you know, on, on anyone's shortlist for the MVPs or surprises, but, but someone who did something unsung hero, however, whatever term you want to use someone who, who won't get enough credit and had a pretty quietly good game. So I don't, I don't think he quietly had a good game, but I really haven't heard or read a lot of talk about him yet. It was about Josh Ross. Mm, That was my choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, leading tackler, he looked great last night, you know, and you got to remember as a guy that pretty much missed almost all of last, you know, he missed a huge chunk of last season. You know, it was like, he really was a guy that probably we weren't talking enough about like just heading into the year period. Uh, you know, multi-year starter, his brother started, I think his brother was a four-year starter. I mean, these guys, the Ross kids, you know, they, they have Michigan football in their blood. Uh, and as a guy that I think Michigan kind of counting on alongside McGrone to sort of lead that defense and and definitely pass the test yesterday. I mean, he had the pick, which whatever game was in hand at that point, but still, you know, leading tackler as well, just played fundamentally sound football too. Um Looks like the guy who's definitely going to be the leading tackler for this team, I would imagine. Uh, but yeah, couldn't have really, to me, kind of the unsung hero there. Couldn't have gotten off to a better start. And uh, really just a nice, reliable anchor uh, for that defense in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of hoping you wouldn't pick him because <laughs> that's that's a really good option. And, and the thing that really stood out, and I think that you could say this about the starting linebackers, I, I think – We'll talk about this in a moment. I think people are kind of reading or trying to trying to outsmart themselves with that defense and and you know giving up what 320 yards of offense and 24 points and having some lapses. Those linebackers hit hard. I I really was impressed with uh, with Michigan's linebackers. I, I couldn't quite give them an A uh, in my post post game grades. I think I gave them an A minus, but I really I I kind of wanted to just by the way that they tackled and really uh, maybe toward the end, there were a few, but the first few drives, it really did not look like Michigan missed a single tackle. And, and I think Josh Ross 
I mean, well, obviously he was the leading tackler, so he played a big role in that. And I think, I think he's, he's someone that is constantly uh, not getting enough credit. Maybe he's starting to enter Brad Hawkins territory, but it's, um, you know, the way he hits. Uh, and I, I felt like he was diagnosing plays pretty well too. Um, that's, that's something to, maybe I'll watch it a little bit more next week is, is the dynamic of having two guys who have practiced multiple years at middle linebacker. You know, is that, is that something that allows Michigan to almost have two Mike linebackers in its lineup and, and kind of diagnose the plays. Uh, but a player who I don't think will get enough credit. I'm going to go back to, to the player who I, I, I felt he was the best offensive lineman. I don't, I don't know how Michigan felt. I don't know how, uh, you know, the advanced statistic analytics sites feel. I really thought Chuck Filiago was moving people. I, you know, I, I was, and where I think he, he impressed me and maybe surprised me a little bit was um, how mobile he looked. And, and it really just seemed like he was able to, um, you know, kind of pull to the outside quicker than you would think for, for how strong, he is and how much power he was producing uh, just seemed like he was, he was getting out really quickly. And I think that was a big key to, to um, you know, Joe Milton getting the rushing plays that he got was a, we, we talk about how uh, calm and collected he was. Well, it's a little bit easier when you have offensive linemen five yards downfield by the time you get to the hash mark. So I, I really thought Chuck Filiaga had a, had a great game. Again, I, I, I it's hard to watch the, the left guard every single snap and, and, you know, give him a full grade and in live time, but he was someone, I mean, he was a big part of a couple of Michigan's big run plays, the pass protection. I mean, Joe Milton didn't, I think he, he only had the one sack and I don't think Minnesota even got a quarterback hurry the rest of the game. So the entire offensive line maybe could fit in this category, but if I were to single out a player really, really felt like Chuck Filiaga, it kind he kind of reminded me of Mike Unwenu in that you see him move somebody one play on like an inside run or whatever. And then next thing you know, he's like 10 yards downfield on a, on uh, a, you know, as a, as a quarterback or running backs trying to get to the corner. And so, um, yeah, certainly a nice foundation for the offensive line. And they call him big Chuck. Just like they big call Chuck, Mike, big, Mike, big Mike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, big time. I mean, really a guy – I wouldn't quite compare him to Jamon Green because, it, you know, with well, maybe a little bit just in the idea that kind of a guy you're hoping the light was going to go on for, that you mm-hmm. heard good things about, but we weren't quite 100% sure if, you know – because there were other guys in contention for that left guard spot. You know, we've heard so much good – so many good things about Zach Zinter. I mean, Nolan Rumler right. in there as well. So – not like he's had that, not like he had taken that job and run with it per se, but yeah, I agree. I mean, really the interior as a whole, you know, it's kind of the area we've considered kind of a big question mark. Minnesota's best returning defensive lineman was an interior guy as mm-hmm. well. Uh, really, they're, they're only returning defensive linemen. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> true. <clear>. Yeah. <laughs> um, but thought those guys held up like really, really well. And and yeah, Chuck's going to be a big asset in the running, in the run game. I think when the question will be, pass protection when they start to play some better defensive fronts, right? Because, I mean, if we're honest, I mean, Minnesota, definitely not one of the top two or three best defensive fronts they're going to play no uh, this yeah. season, right? So the, the challenge is 
are only going to get bigger here. But, you know, I've always said I'm a big believer in if your first extensive experience is really positive, I just think it means so much more. And I think it's so much easier to build off of, you know, a positive performance to begin your career. That's why, like I said, I think yesterday in a lot of ways was a best case scenario for Michigan because I think Milton has to feel more comfortable you know, knowing now he kind of has a, he has a real grip of the offense. Those guys, right. in the interior, you know, we talk about Filiaga, Vistardis, Stuber, um, Jamon Green, Michael Barrett, guys like that, Welshoff, like guys like that who really came in and have made an impact. I think it's easier to build off of that than if you make a ton of mistakes and don't look comfortable out there. I think that can really, um, especially for a guy who's in their like second or third year, it's different than say you're a true freshman guy like Makari page who, you know, he struggled a little bit Yep, out there in the defensive backfield. He can, he can wipe it, wipe it out of his memory. Yeah. hundred percent. He's got all the time in the world, you know, and, and the staff is, is confident in his abilities, but if you're a second or third year guy, you've been waiting for your shot. You come out against an opponent that again, in retrospect, feel like, you know, they should win this game you want that first experience to be positive because then you're starting to question, you know, are you doing it right? Am I doing things the right way? Am I doing, you know what I mean? I think it can get in your head a little bit more. If it's positive, you're like, okay, I, I can play at this level. You know, let's keep it going. Let's who's next type. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. So we're going to pause for a, a quick break to hear a couple words from our sponsors. We'll be back with true false and, and a special segment. I know Steve's going to like in just a moment. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. And we're back. So, Steve, I don't know if we've done this on the podcast before, but uh, pretty simple, true, false. Uh, one one caveat for listeners is these statements are not meant to be things that we necessarily um, believe, but these are statements that are out there, and, and we're kind of gauging the validity of all of them. So let's, let's start with the one that, that I got to think, you know, I think we both had tweets kind of making fun of this. Is this game still a big win for Michigan? True or false? Uh, The, the, I guess the background of the question is Minnesota didn't look very good. You know, Tanner Morgan looked, I mean, he, he played, he, statistically was worse than he was in any game last season. Uh, you know, the defense really looked, I mean, you know, credit to Michigan for, for doing its part, but it, I think it also uh, felt like the degree of difficulty was maybe a little, I mean, I, that was my hunch pregame when we did the preview podcast was, I, I just don't think Minnesota's defense is very good, but it, it almost was worse than even I expected. So the way the game was built up and the way it transpired. I guess the true false will, I'll do the true false statement. This is no longer a big game for Michigan or big win for Michigan. True or false. 
Uh, I'll still say false just because of the youth, particularly on offense. I think it's a big confidence builder for them. From a national perception, I kind of think Michigan got a fair shake um, more than I would have expected, maybe, you know, because that is kind of how it seems to go. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you have Notre Dame is third or fourth in the country, and on their last loss, they got walloped by Michigan last year. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the reaction at the time that game was not, you know, it wasn't viewed as like, it was more about, oh, the weather. Uh, I think was like one of the bigger national takeaways from that game. So no, I still think it's a big win. You know, Minnesota's still pretty good off. Like they're a good offensive team. I mean, you saw Ibrahim, your guy that you were touting all week. I mean, he looked pretty good. Uh, Bateman eventually statistically like raw numbers wise had a good game, but yeah, really I thought, yards. Yeah. Yeah. But really I thought Michigan did a really good job of limiting, you know, that, that situation. So uh, but yeah, false. I mean, it's still a road win against a top 25 team. Now, whether they're a top 25 team or not, I don't know, but I, I, they are for all intents and purposes at this point. So uh, I think it's a, I still think it's a big win for them for sure. Yeah. I I'm going to say false. I, I, I think it's a less big win uh, because I, I do think, I mean, you know, even the opponent neutral mistakes Minnesota was making were, um, I mean, I don't, I don't expect them to contend for a New Year's Six bull berth or, or BA. It sounds weird to say a six-win team this season, you know, but it's, I don't expect them to be the second best team in the Big Ten West. But I think you're absolutely right about the youth because lots of talk, including from me, about how Michigan or Minnesota, excuse me, had eight new starters on defense last night. You know, their their entire defensive front because I think they're. Um, kind of outside linebacker defensive end guy was also out. And so they had one one starter in their front seven and two returning starters in in the secondary. Um how many how many Michigan starters were first time starters? You know, quarterback, four offensive linemen, if we're being technical, uh tight end, I I think both wide receiver spots and technically running back because they they started quorum at, at running back. And so uh, I think, I guess that's all everybody, right? right. Yeah, <laughs> just about. Everyone, but Jalen Mayfield. So, <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, necessarily um, I'm not saying it's, it's a complete, you know, it's not a Super Bowl win, but I, I think it's still a big win. And I, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those wins that, uh, if if Michigan is truly a contender, this is this just catapults them. This accelerates the development. This gives them a little bit of mojo on offense. Uh, you know, gives them something to work on on defense. I mean, gotta think they've been practicing for what three straight months, and without without really being exposed. And so that's something. That, I mean, now I'm not saying they got exposed consistently but there were a couple plays i'm sure they can look at in film and say well now now we know what to work on and so i think it's a big win you know it it also did push them into the top 15 unanimously i didn't see a single poll that was like down on michigan still and so part of that is now they know milton i mean a couple of the spots that people were worried might be uh major steps back don't look like major steps back Right. I think quarterback, Viper, offensive line, 
um, you know, secondary. I, I, I think you could make the argument people were expecting a step back at cornerback. And so, um, yeah, I think it, I think it was a validating win for Michigan, both internally and then externally kind of saying, oh, yeah, no, they've they they did it again. They did it again. Right. They have new starters and they're and they're and they're solid, um, you know. Time will tell what's next. And in our, my next true false, just because it, it is kind of creeping up in a couple weeks, true or false, Steve, Indiana is a better football team this year than Minnesota. Oh, boy. Um, honestly, I'm actually still going to say false because okay. – Penn State outgained them like 500 to like 200. Yeah, it was 488 to 211. I mean, Penn State really completely gave that game away. My logic is this. If Devin Ford downs the ball at the one like he should have and Penn State runs out the clock, we're probably not even asking this question. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go. I'm just going to stick with Minnesota, maybe slightly being better. I think that what they say was like, I thought I saw a stat. That difference in yardage output is like the first time in like 40 years or something that the team's been outgained by that much and, and won or something. I was wow. some, cra- some crazy stat about the, the differential in yardage being like this was like a historic differential in yardage. Didn't get a chance to watch a ton of the game. Uh, did see the end. You know, I, I credit to Indiana. Indiana's always a thorn in Michigan's side, though. That's the thing. Like, even if Indiana was as better or wasn't as good as Minnesota. That game always seems to be a problem. So I'm still going to say false though. I think Indiana's good. I don't, I mean, where, where did they pop into the rank today? Like 13th or something? Or uh, I think it was 17. Yeah. They're like, that's, man, I'm not sure if they're the 17th best team in the country, but um, you know, we, we don't have to get on Penn state. You know, it could be more about Penn state, maybe not being as good as national pundits uh, <laughs> want them to be, but um, you know, I, I, it could be both. I mean, it's whatever, but I, I'd still say, I'm going to say slightly false. I think it's close though. I think you could almost really could almost say <laughs> great segment push. here. And I want to say push. Yeah. I don't want <laughs> to, I don't want to say true or false, but yeah, um, I'll see say that sli- goes on the ACT, right? Yeah. I'll say slightly, <laughs> I'll say slightly false. I'm going to say true. I, I, I agree with most of what you said. I think if Penn state and Indiana play 10 times in a row, I think Penn State wins seven or eight of them, maybe even nine. Uh, I think this was a, that that re- final result was a little bit more of an exception. But I did some position group previews. I was actually curious about this weekend for that very reason because when I did my kind of like breaking down the top five teams Michigan will face at each position, Indiana was a way more complete team. You know, Minnesota had, uh, I think, number the number three offensive line, uh, number two wide receiver group, number two quarterback. I think they might have had the number five or four running back. Indiana was top five in six different position or six or seven different position groups. And so they, they had a little bit more. I mean, they've got a pretty good tight end. They've got a very good receiver who didn't play against Michigan last year. They have a quarterback who uh, didn't play against Michigan last season that were good. I mean, they were star players for them last year. They just happened to be injured for the Michigan game. And so I think 
I think uh, Indiana is, if they played Minnesota on neutral site, I think Indiana would win. And I'm not sure. I mean, that's kind of the point reason why we're asking this, but um, I think it's going to be a very interesting game in two weeks. I, I think I'd still take Michigan, um, but I, I, I think it'll be a fascinating test because I think Indiana, I think they're good in they don't have the star power. You know, they don't have a matchup nightmare like Rashad Bateman versus a new starting cornerback. But they do. I mean, they, they, they're very well-rounded. Uh, you know, seems like their offensive line is, uh, they had a couple rough moments yesterday, but, you know, they've got a really good running back room, tight end, receiver, quarterback, uh, the secondary. I mean, Taiwan Mullen, I think I've, I think I've called him <laughs> maybe the best cornerback in the, in the Big Ten. Uh, and he's he's just coming off his freshman year. So um, agree with your sentiments. I, th- I think Indiana is slightly better. Maybe I'm too down on Minnesota, uh, but slightly down on Minnesota. Um, next one. Michigan has a well, let's 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 put it in a window here. Michigan has a top 15 offense in the country this season. And so what really stood out to me, one takeaway was I, I think this offense has uh, as much balance as it's had maybe the 2016 team, but I don't know. I think I'd take the, take the offense they have right now over that 2016 offense. And so Steve, your thoughts, is this a top 15 offense nationally? Oh boy. Um, I, yeah, I think they are. I mean, the biggest, like, such a diverse set of weapons that they can attack you with. Uh, really didn't even go vertical much, if at all, yesterday, right? But you know now, like, you see how the offensive line played. You feel like that Milton's going to have opportunities to whip the ball down the field at some point. And if there's one thing that we that I saw last night that I'm more that I'm confident in is like their Michigan has a completely different caliber of athlete at the skill positions than they've had in recent years. Um, you, like you said, first play of the game, you see what you see what a true freshman in Blake Corum is capable of doing. Uh, Roman Wilson started played almost every snap. And then even AJ Henning looked lightning fast uh, yeah. in his, in his yeah. limited opportunity, you know, add that into the guys they already have at the receiver spot. We see Eric all who we are. Ironically, we were talking about him having the second best hands in the team last year behind Collins and, and drops what was <laughs> kind of let us down into two ways because we talked about how Michigan should attack the seam with the tight ends. And that also that all was going to be a guy that, um, you know, had the, it, yeah. yeah, as a guy that it's like, it's the most reliable hands out there. They, um, you know, comes back and makes a big play, but either way, and then you add that Mason factor, which I'm like glad that you kind of threw him in as a offensive MVP yesterday because that again just gives them another dimension, a totally different dimension offensively that they can throw in there. Um, the two back sets were really, really effective, and it's it's that's a classic case of just making sure you have your best players on the field as often as possible because we've talked about how loaded that that room is at running back. No reason. You know, you put Milton in there, you have three guys that can beat you with their feet legitimately. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it would, depending on who you got out at receiver, you got guys like Jackson and, and Henning and stuff. Those are guys that can beat you in the running game as well on the end rounds or however you want to try to get them involved. So they just feel like, and then of course the quarterback play, which, you know, you got to think Milton, it's only going to get better from then from here on out for him as he gets acclimated, gets builds and built, builds more and more confidence, you know, becomes more and more tune with the playbook or if they open, can open things up a little bit more. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, you know, 24 hours after how they looked less than 24 hours. It's hard not to kind of buy in with, with just how it looked. So I, I am going to say true. I mean, 15th is pretty high. I think it'd be, it'd be close, but I, I can see them being in that area by the end of the year, just because I feel like it looks like they're going to be able to run the ball effectively against, pretty much anybody they take on this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually going to say, Oh, by the way, um, I should have prefaced this. They currently, it's only been one game. They currently lead the country in yards per play offensively. And that's to me, yards per play is way uh, to me. That's like the number one stat, you know, yards per game, eh, whatever points per game. I think that's very fluky yards per play that, that says what you're doing adjusted a tempo adjusted a situation um it's just how well you're moving the football so last season some of the teams kind of in that mix for a top 15 offense were utah usc and florida i think michigan is close i'd put them in the top 25 i'm gonna say false with the dot 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 for now on them being a top 15 offense and the the thing i guess i i want to see is i if two things one I think if Chris Evans gets going, because I think his his capabilities and, and you know we've talked about, you know, Charbonnet had a 70, 70 yard touchdown run. Haskins had a 65 yard touchdown run. Um, Corum had some big plays. I think consistently, as in not a broken play against an inexperienced defense, I do think Michigan needs Chris Evans to be. Um, I, I say better as if he was struggling. No, it was his first game in what, 20 months, 22 months whatever it was, but I, I think they, they need Chris Evans to be a NFL caliber type of player. Cause man, that would, that would make it a really, uh, you know, that'd be the, like the, the final puzzle piece. And then the other thing, a little bit, you know, still didn't see a ton of downfield passing this, the offense yesterday. And I, I can't knock it cause they scored 49 points, but I think, um, you know, it really just looked like a, Let's find the you know a little opening here, a little opening there. Very 2016 like, where there's tons of stuff going on in the backfield, and then and then they just make it look like the easiest eight yard pickup ever. And so um, you know, and, and and I'm not saying they can't do that, but I think knowing that Minnesota's defense was seventh best in the Big Ten last season, they lost eight starters. Uh, there's 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 still a lot of improvements that Michigan can make, and so to me. I want to see a couple of those improvements get made. Uh, and then, you know, if, the, if I think, I think the next two weeks will tell, tell me a lot. And obviously Wisconsin will, will definitely determine it, but um, you know, how they look against uh, Michigan state and Indiana teams that I feel like have at least more experience in, in the linebackers in the front seven and defensive line, you know, that, that will kind of tell us a little bit more. Plus, you know, we'll see maybe a little bit more of what Joe Milton can do as he gets more comfortable. Are we saying, are you 
saying that Michigan State is going to be a bigger test for Michigan than Minnesota was? was? No, I'm oh, not okay. saying that. All right. I am I curious, to, though. I would clarify there. Because Minnesota had lost, they just lost three, or no, yeah, three three-year starters at linebacker. Sure. At, we, at talk about, we, talk, <laughs> we talk about that. I mean, we talked yeah. about so at the very least Antoine Simmons is is back right so uh no I I agree I I didn't see the Michigan State Rutgers game but if Rutgers is scoring 37 points um you know even with that many turnovers you got to wonder how many Michigan can score but final final true false is uh this one Michigan's defensive lapses should be worrisome. So week one, they're playing Minnesota. Plenty of debate points here, but but there were some defensive lapses. Really kind of felt like, uh, from my view, the maybe that second quarter, there were just a couple plays where, you know, Ibrahim would would just break some arm tackles, get off for a for a twenty yard run. Um, you know, maybe some mis misdiagnoses on on some of the option plays. But Steve, true or false, Michigan's defensive lapses are cause for concern. Not yet. I can see the argument, I suppose. But my thing was, and I, I, I thought this last night watching the game, and it was good. A few guys on the board that are pretty knowledgeable uh, also felt this way. It was nice to get that reinforcement on my thought. Was it felt like, you know, Michigan got ahead felt like they were basically they were trying to limit the big plays and I think that's kind of what opened yep. things up for Ibrahim a little bit you know because they were running the ball relatively effectively but it felt like you know Minnesota run very RPO heavy uh felt like they were really more con- the linebackers especially more concerned about playing the passing lanes than coming up and stuffing the run to limit Minnesota from making a couple big plays to get back into the game so I to an extent yes but honestly like I said, the biggest play they had was a play that I thought could have been called pass interference. The other was Bateman getting one-on-one against a true freshman safety in his first game. Uh, you know, but otherwise, I mean, feels like every Michigan plays a decent team. feels like they're ripe for like one, one bad drive where the other team just kind of goes down and scores under Don Brown, at least. Otherwise it's the biggest question mark for Michigan is, trying to limit those huge plays. Right. I mean, there's there'll be like one drive a game where like the opposition goes 85 yards, scores a touchdown, whatever. Otherwise Michigan's downfall has been, yeah, like yielding big plays, but they're normally playing and play out usually pretty solid. So um, not yet. Like I said, I could see it, you know, Indiana, maybe a team that could give them some, some fits in that regard, but I, I would say not quite yet. So I'll say, I'll say false for now. Yeah, I'm going to say false as well. Uh, this is, I'm actually, so. I'm, I'm also glad to hear, because I, I actually wrote about how I felt like the defense was kind of playing it safe and erring on the side of um, seeing the play first. It almost reminds me of like baseball when you have to like tag up and instead of waiting for the, like you actually like wait to see the ball go into the mitt before you go, just so you don't leave early. Uh, that's a very specific example to only people who played youth baseball, but you know, kind of like making sure 
before you go. Maybe it's like like when you're driving and you you double check your blind spots just in case. It, it seemed like because I felt like Michigan diagnosed um, Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota is a big time option team and and lots of reads and everything. And it seemed like Michigan. I agree. I mean, I think that's part of why Ibrahim had so many carries was that they kept being like, no, no, we'd rather see him go for seven than, you know, take a big shot downfield or, or, you know, overbite or overcommit. And, and suddenly someone's running for 30 yards. And so I agree. I think, I think they said, you know, over the course of the game, we think we'll win with just being maybe a, a, the better overall team rather than give up some big plays. Maybe the anti Penn State game plan from last season where those big plays really cost Michigan in a game where it seemed like they were arguably a better football team. And so I I think that's that's very valid. I think the the secondary um you know the second half I mean a big part of it this equation is Dax Hill. I I we don't know what his status is. Uh Jim Harbaugh kept it ex- I mean even for him it was extra vague. But um, so obviously, I mean, if they're down a player that some people think could be an All-American and certainly could be an All-Big Ten player, uh, you know, the most who Jim Harbaugh said is the most talented player on the team. Yeah, that's going to that's going to be a big issue. But yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I think. I mean, Minnesota, they scored, what, 24 points. They scored a lot more than that several times last season, and seven of those came on short field with a turnover. So I, I don't think, I think people are um, looking for reasons to be concerned if they're, if they're already concerned about the defense. Now, you know, if Michigan State scores 24 to 30 points or if Indiana puts up some points, then yeah, I think then you can start to start to wonder uh, how it's all going to come together. But felt like when it was meaningful, you know, for, you know, a couple of those drives early on felt like Michigan's uh, defense got really nice push from the front hit really hard did a lot of things well so uh final segment real quick thought they oh yeah aside on that thought they you know one of the big problems in college football so far this year has been tackling felt like michigan tackled really well i agree i uh, for a game one in you know in a situation where the live reps preseason weren't nearly as uh abundant as they as they usually are in a regular you know, schedule. So that was noticeable last night too. Yeah. Especially from the linebackers. Glad, yeah. glad we watched the same game, man. We're, we're, no, we were all over t- the place. We were yeah. on top of it. Like we talked about before we got on, I think our analysis of this game was really spot on across the board. You know, we even said, uh, pre-record before the, the pregame episode, we had, we kind of openly wondered if, if Michigan had a chance to blow Minnesota out, but I don't think either of us wanted to be, bold slash homer enough to come out in a game where they were only favored by three points to say they'd win by two or three touchdowns. So, um, well, yeah, yeah, that's, that's actually where the, I have a hunch that blank came from. Cause I wondered if either of us would say, cause I, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't care how Michigan does or anything, but it just, it, it, with that, those defensive lapses and there actually was a text I sent to um, one of my friends during the game and I sent it at 8.08, I think. Uh, and, but anyway, Mich- Michigan was actually trailing 
but I was like, they are just, they've got their offensive lines, just moving people. They're going to win this game by, I think I said run away with, but in my head, I was thinking 20 something. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, it was always kind of a possibility. Um, I don't even remember what we were talking about before that, but, but yeah, it's, uh, anyway, final segment. I was actually going to call it the airing of the grievances, you know, from, from the old Festivus episode, but I realized we might not always have grievances to air. We might just want one more thing that one more thing that's kind of sitting in our head about this game. Steve, do you have one ready or do you want me to go first? You can go first on this one. Okay. I, this is not a grievance. This is more of a, um, just highlighting something really really think that Michigan's 2020 class is going to be really impressive. I mean, I'm saying that already. It's maybe it's a little, little premature, uh, but you know, the way just I test of, of especially Corum uh, Wilson and Henning. I mean, Wilson, you, you talked about him playing a ton of snaps. He also came up with a, a big third down catch, you know, that, that wasn't necessarily the easiest catch and, and not, not necessarily a spot that I would have expected uh, Michigan to go to a true freshman in that situation, but um, especially at receiver position, it seems to take longer, but we've talked about the speed of the freshman class at both on offense and a little bit on defense. Um, I, I think with this extended fall, I think they were able to, um, and, and maybe a little bit more academic flexibility. I'm not trying to say that that, should be an excuse or is an excuse, but um, I think that this, and plus the the character and caliber of the players that they, it seems like they have a lot of guys that they were really excited about. I think this is going to be a really promising class. And I, I think you'll see, especially those three and Makari page, but I think you'll start to see more players kind of um, work their way into the, into the rotation at a few spots. And so, uh, just something that that kind of stood out to me. I, I felt like, I mean, Corum. There were times where he looked like maybe, maybe, could be Michigan's one, number one running back. I'm not saying he will be or should be, but um, you know, some of the cuts, a couple of the cuts he made, uh, how quickly he get to full speed. AJ Henning, as you mentioned, I mean, he's got a he's got an afterburner to him, doesn't he? And, and I, I, Wilson, we didn't necessarily see it. Um, see him go from start or stop to start, but obviously his track times speak for themselves. So that's something that was on my mind. Uh, Steve, you got one. Yeah. So here we go. Ronnie Bell, Hassan Haskins, Luke Schoonmaker, Michael Barrett, Vincent Gray, Julius Walshoff, Ben Van Sumeran, Jamon Green, Joe Milton. All played varying but mostly significant roles in yesterday's game all were ranked three-star prospects in the 2018 class by either 24-7 or the composite Um, talked a lot about the 18 class as already being better than the 17 class despite the 17 class being a top five in this class I believe 22 yeah like lowest that Harbaugh's probably ever really honestly probably ever going to sign at Michigan props to that class for like and to Michigan for really I mean 
and these aren't just guys that are filling spots. I mean, these were no, they're beating out. That's why the 2017 class yes. uh, is not having the same production. It's because at a few spots, they had players from 2018 class, three stars, as you mentioned, come in and, and win starting jobs. I mean, you're talking about both their potential. They're both their maybe major breakout stars on either side of the ball in Barrett and Milton. As those guys, you got your number one and your both your top corners. Uh, Ronnie Bell, leading receiver. Hassan Haskins led the team in rushing yesterday. Uh, just a class that was so heavily maligned after they got signed uh, has really shown up and really kind of, I don't know, sort of reinforced the staff's trust in their evaluations, I suspect. You know, and a lot, and, you know, that's like they're not, not saying that every program does pay some attention to the rankings, not as if they let the rankings dictate who they recruit, but it is something they kind of keep an eye on. And, uh, you know, so yeah, props that class. I know that whole class, you know, Aiden Hutchinson kind of the leader who really didn't fit because he was a top 100 guy, but from top to bottom, you know, that class kind of came in with the proverbial chip on their shoulder because if people go back to signing day 2018, it was just people were just ripping this class from top to bottom you know, we think of Ronnie Bell being the best example of a guy that, you know, people literally freaking out about Michigan actually taking a receiver who had no offers and was like not even ranked or rated. He was technically a no star guy right now until about the time Michigan got involved just because they had, we had to give him a grade uh, or I shouldn't say we, cause I didn't have anything to do with him not being ranked, but you know, our analyst didn't hadn't given him any kind of grade, or I don't even know if he had a profile when Michigan first offered. If I'm totally honest, so uh, yeah, props to that class for really making me look good because I've been hyping and, and telling people that this this was a class that wasn't going to be an instant impact class, but had a lot of guys at Michigan thought that by like year two or three could really make an impact. Barrett Hayes being a couple of Welsh off, literally three guys I've pointed out numerous times at Michigan was excited about Jamon green also. So, um, so yeah, props to those guys. Like I said, I think they kind of collectively came in thinking they wanted to prove not, not just, I mean, I guess if anybody, they wanted to prove Michigan fans wrong, I suppose. I mean, it's not like Maryland fans are given Michigan's 2018 class crap. Cause they weren't yeah, it was still ranked, ranked third in the big it, 10. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I think that that whole storyline, I think has been, it's been fascinating to me to, if, you know, already this season, but just coming into this season, I think it was one of the biggest things I was wanting to keep an eye on, see how these guys really panned out. And uh, I mean, so far so good this year, you can't really ask for much more than what, you know, these guys who weren't heralded at all uh, have given them. Yeah, there you go. I was hoping you'd, you'd kind of do a, a, a chip on the shoulder rant. I didn't have a great one from this game, but I was wondering if you might. So no, I, I, think that's really significant i just looked at the at the class and i only counted four players from the entire class two of them have already transferred out but i only counted four players who i don't think or i don't expect to start for michigan either this year or next year which is insane if they go 16 for 20 that's a higher hit rate than Anybody, Almost any has. program in the country, probably if we're, you know, out of 20 guys, the ironic part is, you know, two of those four are, were two yeah. of the four highest ranked guys that they recruited. Right. 
you know? Right. And so, um, yeah, I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. I mean, that's, and again, most of these guys are playing significant roles. These are not, they're not role players. These guys are like starters, impact players, some of Michigan's, you know, brightest future guys, you know? So yeah, not so much a chip on my shoulder about it, but me just loving the storyline and knowing the chip on the shoulder that a lot of these guys came into the campus with because of just all the, the crap around signing day when, when this class was eventually signed. So, yeah, well, and you know what, honestly, the class I'm looking at it more, actually one of the four players who I said, I don't expect to start has technically started a game. So, um, yeah, it's, I mean, this is how, uh, continually successful programs are built is by having classes that I, whether they huddle up as a, as a group and say, we're going to prove everybody right. You know, they might not do that, but kind of take on a collective mindset. Uh, because even the guys at the top, you know, camera grown, Aiden Hutchinson, Joe Milton, Jalen Mayfield, uh, you know, those guys, I feel like having talked to them in press conferences, they came to Michigan with a lot to prove, even if they were higher rated recruits. You know, they were they were quote unquote projects. Ryan Hayes, another one who was a four star, but you know, came in at what 250 pounds. So it's you know, I think that's that's kind of the identity of the team this year a little bit. I think is that I think now that that group is kind of the a big chunk of the starters, I think they're eight or nine of the starters. Um, something something interesting to watch, definitely. Anyway, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Check out all of our stories. Check out all of our um, all of our other podcasts. We did have a season preview podcast, and I think everything held up there. Uh, and, and obviously, uh, we'll have stuff leading up to Michigan's uh, matchup against Michigan State as well. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time.